Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Talking CFD with Robin Knowles. It's kind of like my show, but for CFD nerds, prepare to ignite. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Talking CFD, the show that's more about growing a business than growing a boundary layer. As a citizen of the web, you'll not be unfamiliar with going to a website and being greeted by a little pop-up asking you to join their mailing list or something similar. Well, if you go to today's guest's website, you'll be greeted by a little pop-up that says, Tired of making meshes? Well, I imagine that resonates with a few of you. So hopefully that'll be the foundation of what we're going to get into today with uh, Kelly Senecal, VP of Convergent Science, home of Converge, the aforementioned CFD software where you don't need to make a mesh. Uh, welcome to the show, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you very much, Robin. I'm pleased to be here. For those who don't know, could you give us a bit of the background behind Convergent Science and how you got to where you are now? Sure. Um, absolutely. So Convergent Science, we're a CFD software and support company, and we do have our own CFD product. It's called Converge, as you said. And what really differentiates us from the other CFD tools out there is normally when you do CFD, the first thing you do is pre-processing, which includes not only setting inputs, boundary conditions, and things like this, but also making a mesh. And depending on what you're trying to simulate, that mesh can either be fairly easy to make or extremely complicated to make. So we've de- we decided when we wrote Converge that we wanted to take that mesh generation part of the process kind of out of the hands of the user, because quite honestly, that's typically one of the, the big bottlenecks you know, between you starting your project and getting CFD simulations up and running. So we've taken, taken that mesh generation, we've put it into the solver so that instead of the user making a mesh ahead of time, the mesh is actually made inside of the Converge solver every time step. And what I mean by that is as boundaries are moving or as you have different complexities in the flow in different areas of the domain, then you're going you're gonna to want things like adaptive mesh refinement. You're basically going to want your resolution in different areas at different times. So all of that is done uh, completely inside of the Converge code. So as a user, you never have to make a mesh. So I'm taking that that was a pain that you guys had felt before you wrote the code. You didn't just decide to write a, a code that didn't need you to make a mesh. Were you involved with um, with CFD before that? Exactly, exactly. So um, the founders of uh, Convergent Science, we all came from the University of Wisconsin-Madison at the Engine Research Center there, where we used a code in our graduate studies called Kiva. So Kiva uh, was a very popular code, an open source code um, used for engine simulations. Uh, when we started our company after graduate school, uh, we realized, you know, originally we were doing consulting with Kiva. And so companies would call us up and say, you know, we really need help running simulations. You know, as everybody who's listening to this is, is aware, you know, CFD is very much a science, but it, there's also some art to it. Um, you can very easily generate bad answers if, if, if you're not careful. So they needed help in running the CFD, but they also really needed help in making their meshes. Um, in Kiva, it was quite painful to make a mesh for anything complicated. So if you were doing an engine simulation, for example, with moving valves and a moving piston, um, that was pretty difficult to do with Kiva. So we spent a lot of our time making meshes for our customers. And one day we kind of realized that, wait a minute, we don't really want to base our company and our future on, on mesh generation and on a, on a code that requires us to spend all this time making meshes what about writing a new code where we've taken that pain away from the user? So that was sort of the impetus of Converge. 
Um, obviously, it wasn't that easy. You know, writing a code from scratch is, is a very daunting task. Um, sometimes I'm surprised we were able to pull it off. But um, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, that, that was sort of the motivation is we were spending a lot of time making meshes instead of doing the analyses. Um, so that, that, that's where we started. So did it start as a, essentially an internal tool, something to up your consultancy game, or was it always intended to be a commercial product? Well, to be honest with you, originally when we started writing Converge, we were going to make it open source. So our original intent was to replace Kiva for engine simulations. Uh -huh. Kiva is an open source tool, so a lot of people around the world make use of it um, you know, and add their own models and things like this. Converge was going to be sort of the next Kiva in, in that way. Uh, but as we started talking to customers and asking them, it, particularly in our market, which is the automotive primarily, you know, what they wanted from a tool, they really wanted a commercial product, at least at that time, where they could call up, you know, call us up if there was a problem and, you know, we would, we would give them support and all of this sort of stuff, which you can also get with open source tools. But, um, they really, you know, they really kind of led us to, to, to changing our mind on that and making it a commercial tool. So it not being an open source product wasn't a roadblock for those customers then? No, because the way we do it, actually, we're kind of like a hybrid, actually, uh, between commercial and open source. And what I mean by that is all of our meshing, which is we feel kind of our secret sauce, right? How we do the meshing, how we do the adaptive mesh refinement, that's really our bread and butter. So we, we, we don't open that up. But all of our physical submodels, things like turbulence modeling, spray modeling, combustion modeling, the things that a customer is more likely to want to change um, or add their own models to, we actually do open that up in the sense that our user-defined functions are actually exact duplicates of our main subroutines. So if you want to, say, modify a spray breakup routine, instead of giving you a UDF with just some loops and kind of a blank sheet, what we give you is an exact copy of our actual routine that does the spray breakup. So you can very easily look at what we do and change it, tweak it, or delete it and put your own model in there. So in that sense, we are giving customers quite a bit of what they need to kind of do their own user coding for models. And so that seems to be a nice uh, kind of balance between the two approaches, a commercial product with some open source type capability. Oh, I see. Yeah, that was interesting. Was it a fairly straightforward transition then from being essentially Kiva consultants to becoming a, a product company? I take that's not a, that's a big undertaking. That's not an overnight thing, is it? No, that, that's a very good question. And that, that was a big transition. Um, you know, we essentially started over when we became a software sales and support company um, because kind of what we were responsible for and what we were developing and doing was pretty different for me and consulting company. And that happened in 2008. So before 2008, you know, we were doing consulting with Kiva and then also with Converge um, as it started to progress and become, you know, more and more stable and robust and things like that. In 2008, uh, we were able to start selling our code to the world. And, you know, we realized we don't necessarily know what we're doing here. I mean, now we have to, we went from being consultants and we were very good at it. I, I, I feel our customers hopefully would agree, but now we were not only responsible for, you know, supporting the code, which is in a lot of ways like consulting, but we were also responsible for selling the code, marketing the code, coming up with documentation. You know, that's something I never thought I would be spending a lot of time on, and that's writing things like user manuals and things like that. Back in the early days, you know, the, the founders of the company, we were doing all of those things. Um, so it, it was a really big 
transition and we had to learn we had to learn a lot very quickly because um you know we didn't want to go into the market without kind of understanding what we needed to do in these different segments and then fail at it um we wanted to kind of go into the market you know knowing what we're doing and kind of selling a value statement to our customers and i think we were able to pull that off uh, pretty well of course now we have tons of help you know our company is about 80 people now um, so we have, you know, a team of documentation people, a team of sales people, a team of marketing people. Um, but back in the, those early days, um, you know, the, the, the founders of the company, uh, we were doing all of it. So that was, that was a very big transition. So, yeah, I wouldn't mind talking about the, uh, founding the company a little bit more actually, because, sure. um, I introduced you as a VP. But that's not because the president was too busy. You guys don't have a company president, do you? We don't. So we have four owners of the company. Um, and we're all vice presidents. And basically, we operate as a partnership. And when we talk to people about that, you know, usually their first reaction is, well, how, how could that possibly work? Who's and in I, charge? Yeah, who's in charge? And I totally get that because in a lot of ways, that does sound kind of crazy. But, um, you know, we've been together since uh, 1995, 1996 kind of time frame. We started as in grad school together. We're all very good friends. And so... I don't know how, but most of the time we just tend to agree on things. We don't all, we, we don't always agree, but especially on the big picture, like the vision of the company, where we want the company to go and things like that. We do very much agree when we don't agree. Um, you know, we, we basically fight it out. We debate it. Um, and usually, usually we come to some agreement or, you know, if I disagree with my other partners on something and they feel strongly about it, you know, different from me, I, I kind of respect them enough to feel like, and I hopefully they respect me enough to feel like, you know, maybe I'm missing something. If they all, you know, if the three of them feel strongly about something um, and I disagree, I'm probably missing something. And, and so then we'll go with that decision, right? So, um, and, you know, nine times out of 10, I'm not saying we always make good decisions, but nine times out of the 10, at least, you know, things go really well. So we do operate, even though we're incorporated, we do operate as a partnership in that way. But a... Privately owned partnership. Yes. So 100% of the company is owned by uh, the four of us. That's correct. Being privately owned, is that important to the company? or? Yeah, um, because we have had a lot of uh, companies that have come to us and wanted to invest um, you know, in, in our company and things like that. But it's very important to us because we can run the company as we feel is best for the company, right? So... Um, Usually when you take investors and things like that, obviously there are pros and cons to that, right? Um, but we feel like, you know, although making money and profiting is very important, you know, we, if we want to put money that, you know, is profit essentially back into the company, we want to invest in more R and D. We want to hire more people. Um, so we want to invest in people and, and in the products. Uh, we don't want to kind of be told by a, an investment company, you know, we need these profits or, or we need to have an exit strategy in five years or things like that. So, um, currently it's very important for us, um, because we feel like we know best how to run our company. Um, and so far it's worked really well for us. Do investment companies pay attention to guys like you or are we, are they only interested in snapping up the next CD Adapco or something like that? No, they, they are very interested in us. Um, to the point where <laughs> we probably get, you know, maybe five calls a week, Whoa. five calls or five emails a week from these companies. It's some of them are repeat companies that are just kind of, 
you know, trying to touch base with us again, but we are getting, um, we, we get a lot of interest from investment companies. I think things like, you know, it's been some years now, but when Fluent sold to Ansys and then we had, you know, Adapco just recently selling to Siemens, there's a lot of this kind of stuff going on in the CAE market that I think is making the investors very interested. When they see that CD Adapco goes for, I think they went for close to a billion when their annual revenue, I believe, um, was around 200 million. You know, that's about a factor of five. So that's a pretty big factor on, you know, annual revenue versus sales. So I think they see CFD and CAE in general as a pretty hot kind of market to be in right now. And yeah, so, so yeah, I'm constantly telling people, maybe check back with us in a couple of years. You know, you never know <laughs> what things might change, but, but currently that's not at all kind of in our, in our vision. We want to keep going as a private company. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. So post Brexit, that probably values CFD engine at about £12.50 or something like that. That should <laughs> be uh, pretty cool. Um, so you, the the core the team the uh, the founding team you've obviously got development and, and CFD chops um, yeah and you honed your consultancy chops um, but you've you've got a lot bigger now sorry did you say how many guys you are now or how many uh, people we're about there? we're about eighty people cool so that's a lot bigger than you started out right in, in two thousand eight we were four guys so as a product company uh, are you hiring for different core competencies than you would have if you'd have been a consulting company. As far as who we're hiring, yeah, um, like I, you know, one area that I kind of alluded to earlier was documentation, right? So one thing we've realized is, you know, you can have a really good product, but if you can't communicate what that product can do, um, you know, in a concise and kind of uh, kind of a nice way to the customer, then you know they may not understand how to use it. And the other one would be marketing. Again, you can have the best product in the world. But if you don't get the word out there about it, right, no one's going to know, no one's going to care. So there are definitely, you know, those things which are outside of sort of your developers, which we, we obviously have a lot of developers on staff as well, and like support engineers, right? So those are the two, like when you think of having a CFD company, you think of, okay, people are writing the code and people are supporting the code. But there are these other things out there that are really important, like develop, uh, documentation, marketing. Of course, you have to have a good sales team to get the word out as well. Um, and then things like, you know, we just uh, uh, um, about six months ago, we hired a controller, Right. So a controller is someone like an accountant, basically, that mm-hmm. um, basically is always looking at how we're doing with our sales versus our expenses and kind of giving us advice on, you know, can we hire more people this year? Should we not? Things like that. So, you know, that's something I never thought, you know, we would have to hire. But, you know, we're getting big enough that we do need to kind of keep an eye on all of that. So so definitely um, there's definitely people we're hiring outside of originally our comfort zone, right? Our comfort zone was technical. Um, and now, and now we are becoming more comfortable with hiring outside of that. So, um, it's definitely been a learning process. So no more elaborate steak dinners than controller says so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, bringing it back around to converge. I mean, you've, you've hinted towards why it's different. I, I think is the, there's more to the point of difference than just the, um, the meshing though, I think, is there? Yeah, there is. Um, you know, the other thing that, uh, we're, we believe we're very good at and our customers, uh, would agree is in reacting flows. So being able to solve, you know, the combustion in an IC engine, for example, you know, you need to have some really, uh, extensive, uh, combustion modeling capability and 
being able to solve detailed chemistry or reaction mechanisms in a very efficient way. Because in order to get very accurate results in terms of uh, performance and emissions, you really need to, to move to bigger and bigger chemical mechanisms, especially as the emissions mandates kind of push those targets down lower and lower. You know, now we're simulating engines with, with you know, much less soot emissions or NOx emissions than they did historically. So you have to really increase the accuracy of your models. So combustion modeling or reacting flows is another place where, you know, other tools do that as well. You know, we have competitors in that space. Um, we feel like we, we do it, um, we do it better. Um, the other thing is our people. Um, we we're told constantly by our customers that they love our code you know, they love the no user meshing and they, you know, that really takes a big uh, kind of strain off them. But even more than that is they feel like when they have a problem or, you know, they're getting a result that doesn't look right to them, they can call us up and we kind of partner with our customers in that way. So if they have a problem in their simulation, we have a problem in their simulation. So um, our support team is, is very, uh, very, is great, basically. And, you know, it used to be the support team were the founders. Um, and I think, you know, we were very much that way where we saw ourselves as partnering with our customers. And we've kind of taken that culture and kind of, you know, spread that throughout the company. And so everybody here kind of takes on that attitude and our customers really love it. So that's another, it's not a, it's not a technical thing. It's not a detail of the code, but it's sort of a, another piece that you get when you, when you buy software from us. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, I've, I mean, I've used plenty of pieces of code where I've thought the guys who've written this have never used it. <laughs> it, it shows. And I guess that that is going to come through in the opposite way for, for you guys. Right. Uh, who Who's it for? I mean, you've mentioned IC engines quite a bit from mm-hmm. the beginning to right. to right now. Is that is that your main target market? So, yeah, that's our main market. You know, we went to graduate school uh, for IC engines and that's, you know, we know that we know that market and that application backwards and forwards. That's that's our niche right now. Is that um, automotive or all the way up to you know big ships and things like that? All of the above. Yeah. Any sort of engine. So so our customers now are, you know, the automotive companies, um, the diesel engine manufacturers, and again, all the way from small engines to, to really big marine type engines and things like that. Um, but, you know, that's not all we're doing. Um, you know, as we've, we've kind of taken, uh, quite a bit of that market share, um, not only in the U.S., but in Japan as well. Um, mm-hmm. and we're starting to make sort of similar strides in Europe. You know, now we're looking, looking a little bit beyond that. Now we'll always, you know, IC engines are near and dear to us. We'll always really focus on that. And our goal will always be, let's keep providing the best solution for that. But there are other people out there too, that can benefit from the fact that we can do complex moving geometries very easily, uh, or they may need to do reacting flows. So things like gas turbine combustors is another one. Um, so there are these other markets that we're also, you know, starting to move into as well, because they have a lot of the same needs as IC engines. So is it the IC engine market that drives how you develop the product? What features to put in, what to leave out, etc.? Yeah, so a lot of that is really customer driven. So I like to uh, show a quote, um, you know, when I give presentations about sort of what we're doing and where we see the future of, of engine CFD or CFD in general. There's a quote from a manager uh, of a CFD group at a, at a large automotive company in the U.S., and it was in an email that he sent to me a couple of years ago. And what that quote said was, 
you know, this is what we need. We need to be able to submit our simulations before we go home from work. So say five o'clock or something like that, five or six o'clock. And then in the morning, when we come into work the next day, we want to start post-processing and analyzing our results. And oh, and by the way, those results need to be extremely accurate or else we can't make design decisions about them. So they want, right? They want real, a high level of accuracy and they want fast turnaround time. And I, as any CFD person knows, those two things are at odds typically, right? So um, yeah, they usually go together with expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's sort of, you know, when you talk about what do we decide to work on sort of at a very high level, you know, how do we get our code as accurate as possible, but how do we also get it to run as fast as possible? So the, on the accuracy side, you know, things like being able to run bigger and bigger mechanisms for, for chemistry, numerics would, would also fall under accuracy, you know, focusing a lot more on LES modeling. So historically in the engine world, as in, as in most CFD, you know, RANS was kind of the, the thing you did and it still is sort of the workhorse, but a lot more people are starting to look at LES as they need to look at things like cycle to cycle variation, engine knocking and things like this that only happen some of the cycles large eddy simulation starts to become more important. So there's a lot of focus on that. So those are sort of accuracy things. But then as far as speed, you know, how do we get those really expensive calculations now to run overnight like this this engine uh, engine CFD manager wants? And that's in scalability. So, you know, running on more and more cores. When we first wrote Converge, um, you know, we weren't really thinking beyond... 64 cores, 128 cores. We weren't thinking anybody would really care, you know, running CFD beyond that. You know, that was back in 2002 or so when we started writing the code. But now people want to be able to run on hundreds or thousands of cores or hundreds of thousands of cores even. So when you're starting to do CFD at that scale, there are a lot of issues that come up, you know, even just as simple as IO issues um, that you don't have to worry about when you're running tens or, you know, up to hundreds of cores. So that's kind of one of the areas that we're focusing on for speed. So really, a lot of what drives us and what drives our development is, again, how do we get the most accurate results um, in the fastest amount of time? Do you see a trend towards people running on cores that aren't theirs? I was going to use the cloud, but uh, I'm not even quite sure what it means. But people yeah. running running more remote jobs rather than on their under their desk. Yeah, I do see a trend toward that. And, uh, you know, we, we do offer with Converge, we offer a cloud option. Um, typically, what we see is smaller companies or consulting companies tend to make use of that more than, say, you know, the, the GM or Fords of the world, mm-hmm. right? The big automotive companies. Um, and I think the reason why, like some of these consulting companies make use of it, at least with Converge, is we offer an on-demand option that goes along with the cloud. So instead of having to buy an annual lease of Converge, you may only have a couple projects a year that use Converge, you know, that maybe they come up, you know, one comes up in May and one comes up in November or something like that. So really, you only want to pay for what you're using of Converge. You don't want to pay for all those months that the, the, the license is sitting idle. So we offer like an hourly rate, basically. So you just pay for what you use. And we do that with the cloud. So not only are they paying for what they use, but they're able to, you know, run remotely and not have to have a cluster, you know, in their office or, or in their building. Um, so that's where we see the cloud being used most today. Um, you know, I do think, I do think the use of the cloud will become more and more kind of as we, 
you know, as we go forward. Um, but still most of our users, you know, the vast majority of our, of our clients and our users, you know, are running kind of on in-house clusters. Do the majority of your customers come to you from other codes or uh, are they starting afresh? Uh, in the, in the IC engine world, um, people have been doing CFD for quite some time. Uh, so typically when we go to a customer, they are doing CFD already. Um, and you know, we, there is kind of a big player in that market, or there was a big player in that market, um, that a lot of the companies used. And so, so that's what we do is we kind of go in there and we say, Hey, we think we have a better solution. We think we're more efficient. We think we're more accurate. And there, there's a real challenge there. Um, because there's the technical aspect, which we think we can convince them pretty quickly on the technical aspect. There's also a political aspect, right? So if a code's been in house for a long time, there are people there that are really loyal to it. And I get it, right? I get that 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 happens. And so you, you also have to convince them that, look, this code you've been using for the last 10, 20 years, we feel like there's something better. And, you know, so there's that whole piece of it. I, now that we're on the other side of that, where we're in all these companies, I sort of like that there's that loyalty because now we benefit from it. But, um, but so, so there's that aspect, but yeah, most of our, you know, I would say pretty much all of our sales have been, you know, we are going in and displacing another code. So how does a, a smaller CFD company, I don't mean that in a pejorative sense at all, right. how do a smaller CFD company compete with, with the big boys say? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, being a smaller company, when we were, when we were really small, you know, five, 10 guys, then, you know, we used to have to worry about our size because, you know, it's hard for a big company to invest a lot of money in a company of five people when, you know, they don't know if the company is going to be around next year or not. Right. So, and I get that we knew we were going to be around, but they don't know, they don't know what's happening. So when we were really small, you know, we really had to kind of push that, that look, we have the best tool. We feel we have the best tool and look that we're in this for the long haul. And so now that we're 80 people, we, we no longer have that, you know, we haven't had that in a few years where, you know, people look at us as too small and things like that. But the way we compete, well, one of the ways we compete is just on technology. We feel like we have the best technical solution, but also if a big company, a big automotive company say comes to us and says, you know, we really need this feature, whatever it might be. Um, and we don't want to wait till your next release, right? We don't want to wait till, you know, a year from now when your next release comes out, you know, we're incredibly nimble and flexible in that way. You know, we'll get a developer working on that feature. And if they need that in their project tomorrow, I'm not saying we'll get it done necessarily tomorrow, but we'll get it done quickly. And if we have to give them sort of a special custom executable to, to make use of that, um, we will. I mean, so we're there kind of to really help them. So I think the fact that we're small does make us more flexible and nimble in that way. Um, I also think our support, you know, I, I talked about that before. Um, you know, we're, we're really experts in what, what we sell. Um, so I'm, and I'm not saying big companies don't have experts. They do. Um, but I can just speak about our company and, and, and I feel like the fact that we are smaller and really well focused on particular applications, we're not trying to do every CFD problem under the sun, right? We're focused on a few applications. I think that really helps us give the best support we can give. So that's a, that's a bit of a recurring theme across some of these podcast episodes that, um, in CFD, the most the seemingly the more successful companies are the ones that really have invested heavily in in support. 
um, that are holding customers' hands, but also know when they need their hand held um, right. and know what's right. tricky. And, and that, that, I suppose that comes with the domain expertise. Right. Would you have any advice for a company just starting or launching a new CFD product and, and being a bit overwhelmed by uh, some of the big boys who are out there? Well, one thing, that's a really good question. And if I look back and and say, okay, what kind of advice could I give? Well, there are lots of things. But, but one thing I, I guess I would focus on right now is what differentiated us, right? What made us a disruptor in the industry? Because when we in 2008, we introduced something very disruptive to the to the automotive CFD world. Um, you know, automated meshing. When we first came out with that, we had a we had a lot of people that would look at that and say, "Wait a minute! If it's automated, you must be you you it must be simplified, right? You, your answers must be less accurate." Um, and that's not the case, actually. Uh, you know, our, there, there, there are no simplifications with the geometry. It's, you know, it's as accurate. I would, I would say it's as accurate as any CFD code. Um, but you have this, these kind of controversial topics that pop up when you're trying to disrupt, right? Cause you're going against the status quo. Um, another one is detailed chemistry for combustion. When we first kind of introduced that to the market and said, wait a minute, these simplified combustion models you've been doing, you know, those are very useful and those have their place, but we feel like solving the detailed chemistry directly is, is the most accurate way to do it. Um, a lot of people said, no, wait, that can't work. Um, but, you know, we kind of stuck to our guns. We stuck to our guns with the automated meshing. We stuck to our guns with the detailed chemistry, and we kind of doubled down on it. We kept pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. Now those two things are very standard in our industry. Um, so I guess my advice would be if you're coming up with a new CFD code, Chances are you're trying to do something different from everybody else, right? You're probably not rewriting Fluent or you're probably not rewriting, you know, Star CCM or something like that, or even Converge. You're probably doing something different, which is why you think you'll be successful in the market. So what's differentiating you or what's what you feel is your disruptor, you know, stick with that. Um, even if it makes you controversial initially, um, if, if it, you know, if you really believe in it, stick with it and eventually, you know, you'll convince people. Again, ties back into the domain expertise. You kind of know what people need before they need it. and uh, Not always, but uh, sometimes that's true. I want to thank you for coming on, Kelly. If somebody is listening to this and thinking, uh, I need to have a look at Converge, what's their next step? They can email us uh, at info, so I-N-F-O, at convergecfd.com. Um, and, you know, depending on what they're looking for or what application area they're, they're looking at, we'll have, you know, different people maybe get back to them. Um, I would also invite them to just take a look at our website, take a look at our YouTube channel. We have a lot of videos there kind of showcasing a lot of the different CFD simulations that we can do. Um, you can also email me directly. You know, I'd be happy to hear from people. And again, if I'm not the best person to respond, um, I can definitely put you in touch with someone else on our team. And my email address is just my last name, so S-E-N-E-C-A-L, Senecal, at ConvergeCFD.com. Thanks ever so much, Kelly. Thank you, Robin. If you're still listening, then you are exactly the kind of person who should join the conversation in our Facebook group. Head over to TalkingCFD.com forward slash FB to join up with other listeners and past guests chatting about the kind of things we cover on the show and helping each other grow their own CFD businesses. That's TalkingCFD.com forward slash FB to join the group. See you there.